Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, March the 23rd, 2023. It's 9 p.m. in the evening in San Francisco, so it's already Friday for most of you. And it's Friday in our minds because it's my favorite time of the week where I talk to my old friend Keith Tier um, about this week in tech. That was the week in tech for Keith. And he asks all of us, are you a communist? I know Keith was or probably still is in some ways. Where What's being a communist, Keith, got to do with tech this week? So this is a reference to McCarthyism, where the question, uh, have you ever been a communist or are you a communist and have you ever been one? Uh, we all ridiculed now that we post the McCarthy era. But today in Congress, um, the CEO of TikTok was basically accused of being a, um, a conscious spy on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, explicitly stealing data from American users simply to fuel the database and knowledge base of the CCP. And um, maybe a hundred different representatives or senators asked him questions. And, uh, and for the most part, uh, he wasn't allowed to answer. He was just being accused without reply of all kinds of sins and crimes. So I thought it was appropriate this week to start with that question, are you a communist, which implies, by the way, that if the answer is yes, um, you know, bad things should happen to you. And uh, your editorial was was equally outspoken. I'm quoting you. When I woke up at about 7 a.m. Pacific time today, that was today, Thursday, I turned on CNBC to see the CEO of TikTok testifying to Congress. It was an astounding experience, puzzling and worrying in equal proportions. Um, his questioners, this is the, the CEO of, of TikTok, who happens to be from Singapore, not China. His questioners were like a pack of McCarthyite hounds to my ears and eyes. They grandstanded on their pet issues. They gave him no time to form answers. This was grandstanding, Keith. Uh, is there anything real about this? I mean, it's, it's Congress people being appropriately reactionary, playing to their audience. Um, this is uh, a punch bag, convenient. They hate the Chinese. They hate big tech. They hate social media. So it all comes together. Well, there isn't very much real about it. I mean, the first thing to say is that TikTok has basically nothing to do with China, except that its parent company, ByteDance, is domiciled there. I doubt very many of the ByteDance uh, management team live there and the, the, the you know the kind of the 1984 or brave new world view of china is that there's pipes into every database with the chinese communist party sucking out the data for intelligence to use yeah, teenage girls what they're eating and what they're wearing I, it's hard to imagine where the national security threat is you linked to a couple of interesting articles, one uh, in the information by Martin Pierce suggesting that U.S. tech should support TikTok at this moment. I couldn't agree more. Are there any, is there any support amongst 
big tech or even small tech, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, for what's happening? Yeah, well, that article stood out. There was a couple of others that, that had a similar kind of theme that I that I used, and um, the, the 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 answer is no. I mean, face the point of that article was why isn't Facebook pounding the pavement in defense of TikTok? It, it, you know, if the government is able to do this to TikTok and, and, and about two thirds of the narrative against TikTok has nothing to do with China, it's to do with teenage girls committing suicide is one of them. The other is stealing data from users, both of which Facebook gets accused of as, and Instagram and the like. So there isn't really a coherent narrative in defense of TikTok anywhere. And I think that's because people are are uh, afraid of being accused of supporting China, which, you know, smells of a terrible xenophobic atmosphere where you, you can't really speak out. So I decided... Well, the, the press is. I mean, the information, which is anything, is hardly a left-wing yeah. magazine or online uh, publication. A motherboard uh, uh, vice led uh, with a story about banning TikTok is unconstitutional, ludicrous, and a national embarrassment. I think you and I would agree on that. So the press is being, I mean, at least the progressive tech press is being reasonably outspoken, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, but not the tech companies. I mean, uh, I haven't heard, seen a statement from Google or Facebook or... Uh, or, or really I mean, is it, to be fair to Google and Facebook, is it for them to come out sympathetically to TikTok? I mean, these are companies, they're not political actors. Yeah, but I think you have to strategically, strategically think through the consequences of your silence. I don't think it really serves Facebook, Google, Microsoft, uh, or, or any of the others, Snapchat and so on, to allow TikTok to go down accused of these heinous crimes, which, quite frankly, is completely innocent of. Uh, because if it does, it won't be the last. And, and I think we, you know, you and I both track the regulatory uh, zealotry that exists in Congress vis-a-vis -vis big tech. TikTok is, is a little bit like the easy target. Um, it's a little bit like when it comes to content, everybody always talks about um, uh, people who manipulate children. Because why? Because we all are all against that. So it's the easy target. But it's used then to control content in general. So I, I think that relationship between taking on TikTok and Section 230 was a big theme today in Congress. Um, and there are a lot of uh, uh, congressmen and congresswomen who would like to see Section 230 removed. I mean, from Facebook's point of view, though, isn't shutting TikTok down or banning it from the United States from a business point of view, that would be in their interest? You might think so, but I, I think if you ask the question, to what extent do Chinese companies rely on American revenue versus American companies relying on overseas revenue, the American companies are way more dependent on uh, revenue outside of their home country. So any trend which tries to close down companies to exist only within borders would be, on the face of it, not a smart decision. And is this part of a a broader deglobalization trend. The Europeans are making it harder and harder for big tech American companies to operate there. Um, my understanding is that most big American tech is not, uh, certainly 
online tech is not available in China. Apple has an odd relationship with the Chinese. Uh, some countries, Iran, the, Russia, the, these companies are banned from. Yeah. So is it just part of a broader deglobalization of, of tech? No, I think it's all specific. Now, I mean, you're quite right about China um, uh, either, either uh, not allowing or sometimes voluntarily the big tech companies uh, leave China uh, like Google did. But there's others like Apple that, uh, and, and Tesla, for that matter, have a perfectly good relationship where content isn't their main business. So I, I, I'd say that China is an exception. No, no one would defend um, the Chinese government's attitude to content. Absolutely not. But it's kind of strange, isn't it, when American politicians say we should be more like China and act vis-a-vis -vis TikTok as if they were like China. Why would that be a good thing for America's reputation? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's unconscionable. It's America and at its worst, parochial, reactionary, anti-Chinese, anti probably some people might even say racist. There was a piece that I sent you that you, I think you forgot uh, that you you forgot to add. It was uh, it was um, in the Wall Street Journal. I'm just finding it. Um, it was about the increasing domination now of Microsoft and Apple. That we have the end of what was once called the Fangs, and now we have a a, a, a duopoly in tech of of Microsoft and Apple, um, which is ironic given that we're supposed to be at such a radically disruptive moment in in tech in the history of tech and yet it's the old companies dominating everything but i wonder it's all very well calling on google or facebook to speak out i, I can't imagine facebook speaking out because they're in a difficult position wouldn't it be responsibility of the two elder statesmen in tech the the two seriously big tech companies, Microsoft and Apple, you'd think that Tim Cook, who of anyone in Silicon Valley seems to have a conscience, he would say something. I, I would like to see Tim Cook say something, but I, you know, I think Apple is super good at understanding the difference between business and politics. That's why it survives in China. It, 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 it doesn't play the role of politician anywhere, really. It just abides by the local laws and gets on with it. But I would like to see Tim Cook speak out. I think that would be great. He has done the opposite briefly, which was to imply that TikTok might be removed from the App Store. I don't know if it was him or someone else at Apple, but that, that rumor at least was around a few months ago, which seems to have gone away. I don't really like the Wall Street Journal's um, removal of Netflix and Amazon from Fang. Um, I, I, I think... I think Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix have all made a huge comeback, by the way. Recently. Yeah, but when you look at this chart, I mean, the, the numbers are... Un uh, there are you, you can't argue about these numbers, Keith, can you? But no, the, well, these two are big, but Facebook, um, Amazon, and Netflix are also big, but they still are, um, and they're not going anywhere. I mean, the, the, most things that happen um, that are large happened to one of those companies. Netflix, by the way, stock went up quite 7 or 8% just today. You'd think uh, Elon Musk is supposed to stand up for free speech too. Uh, 
he he he's never been shy of a political fight. Why hasn't he said anything? Good question. I, I we should ask him, uh, Elon, dude. What's going on? This is this is your moment to defend free speech. Um, and and by the way, you have a lot of business in China, so why not go for it? But is this really about China? I mean, I don't want to spend the whole of the show key talking about this issue. But what, what what will be the outcome? Is 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 it conceivable that TikTok could be banned from the United States? Totally not going to happen. Uh, mostly when Congress people want something, it doesn't happen, and this is going to be one of those times. I think what will happen is TikTok's Project Texas, which is their um, isolating themselves from Chinese servers um, and having only US-based servers where all the data is here in the US, will be sufficient to prevent them being banned. Um, And I think that this is really more about a rational part of American foreign, foreign policy. Um, American foreign policy believes China needs to be slowed down. It does believe China inevitably is going to become the largest economy in the world. It does believe China is going to export, not just uh, have a domestic economy. You can see that with Chinese electric cars starting to appear in mostly in Northern Europe for now. Um, and they're good. They're really good electric cars. Um, and, and so I think American foreign, foreign policy basically says, well, we can't stop them, but let's slow them down. That's kind of rational if you live in a, a world of nation states where economics is fought between nation states. Um, when it gets out of control, economic uh, conflict often turns into military conflict. And you, we all hope that doesn't happen. And we hope the U.S. is smart enough to realize that the end game is cooperation between themselves and China. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, this is a show about tech rather than politics, so I don't want to get into that. Um, is there any truth to these accusations that TikTok is uh, a, a company controlled and owned by the Chinese state? Well, it... I'd say it's a complicated question, and 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 uh, the CEO, which means there may be at least a glimmer of a truth there. Well, look, the Chinese Communist Party is not really a political party. It, it's the elite in Chinese society that joined the Communist Party a little bit like Americans join golf clubs. If you want to be, you know, with the boys and girls, you have to join the Communist Party. You almost for sure are not a communist. You're just getting on with your life and doing what is required. And the entire uh, social structure in China, therefore, is run by people who are members of the Communist Party. Um, Just like in America, uh, you know, the entire political infrastructure is run by people who are either Democrats or Republicans, depending which one's in power. So you're saying that um, be the equivalent in America of the country being ruled by the golf club? By, by whatever society you have to join to be in with the in crowd. And that, that's Is what... That, uh, who, who plays golf these days, Keith? Uh, no one has time. Do you play golf? No one in Silicon Valley plays golf. They actually do. I never did. But uh, I can tell you at the Palo Alto Country Club here or the Menlo Park Country Club, there's a lot of golf going on. Does Bill Gates play golf? You have an interesting piece from him about the age of AI as beginning. Um, 
Is he a golfer, Bill Gates? I don't think he's got time for that either. I, I've got to believe that his hand-to-eye-to-ball coordination wouldn't make him a good golfer, but who knows whether he's tried. He may have tried. It's interesting, actually, this week. I want to get to AI and Gates' observations, but nothing about Silicon Valley Bank, um, Keith, in this newsletter. is. I, I asked you last week or the week before whether it was a storm in the teacup. You suggested it probably was. Has it just gone away now? Um, well, the issue hasn't gone away. Uh, First Republic Bank and uh, Credit Suisse have an, has, has a huge week on the negative side. $17 billion worth of bonds were written off when UBS acquired Credit Suisse. And First Republic Bank stock is down at about $12 a share from $160 when this whole mess started. And Signature Bank has been sold for pennies on the dollar. So uh, Silicon Valley Bank isn't that much in the news, mainly because the government taking it over and is, is running a sale of its assets. Uh, the theory or the rumor, at least, is that it's putting the assets into buckets and selling them because nobody wanted to buy the whole thing. So, so there isn't a lot to say. It's a little bit like Manchester United not getting the second bid by the time of the deadline. Um, they, they seem to have a lot in common, those two. So let's talk about the big story of this week, of this month, of this year, of this decade, maybe of even this century, the story of AI. Bill Gates believes that the age of AI has begun. Uh, artificial intelligence, Gates argues, is as revolutionary as mobile phones is, and the Internet. We've heard that one before. Is Gates saying anything we haven't heard before, Keith, on AI? Well, he's not saying anything that we haven't heard before but he's saying something he hasn't said before, which is he's saying that um, this is as significant as the internet. It will change everything. It is the new uh, canvas that you know, trillions of dollars of value will be built on top of. And um, don't question it. Go all in. He uh, missed the internet famously doesn't sound as if Microsoft is missing the age of AI. In some ways, they're leading it, aren't they? They're, they're definitely leaning in, and they've, they did a, a smart tactical move by partnering with OpenAI. This week, Google, I didn't put it in because it wasn't interesting enough, but Google launched BARD, B-A-R-D. Yeah, which, which in itself is a, is a comment on Google's footnote, at least at this point, to the revolution. Yeah, and apparently it's terrible. Uh, they, they, they were so worried about it being out of control, they constrained it to the point where it isn't interesting. Um, and, and I don't know if that was conscious or just it isn't very good, one of those two. On the other hand, uh, character.ai today, which I tried, um, in fact, uh, the, one of the paragraphs in my editorial was written by character.ai. See if you can guess which one. Um, it raised money at a billion-dollar valuation. It's one of two unicorns minted this week. Yeah, so, you're running ahead of the show, Keith, on Character AI. We will come to them. Yeah. Um, and then just as Google, at least at this point, seems to be a loser, certainly Microsoft's a winner. Obviously, OpenAI is a winner. Amazon's also a loser. You, 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 you linked to an interesting piece in the information about Amazon facing a moment of truth on Alexa. Uh, has ChatGPT and, and, and this revolution, are they making Alexa and Siri 
redundant overnight. Well, they're definitely making them look old, uh, a little bit like the iPhone did to the BlackBerry. Um, and I, I think it's it's all three of them, the, the Google Assistant, Amazon's Alexa, and Siri, all look super old and, and not very clever compared to ChatGPT. Uh, I, I think that's, um, that's huge. I've got an app called Rewind, um, which you should all check out. It's a startup. But it's built, um, it's called um, Chat Me into Rewind. And what Rewind does, if you give it permission, it, it's recording my voice now and yours. And I can search this show a year from now by words. Uh, but it also lets me chat with it saying, what did Andrew and I talk about a year ago? And, and it will bring it up. So I think this this mechanism of having a chat interface to rich data and being able to search and retrieve things on, on demand. I mean, goodness me. I mean, what, a, what a change, what a difference to Siri and, and, and uh, Alexa and the Google, the Google assistant. It's not yeah. even close. Is it a Gutenberg moment? You linked to a piece by Paul Kudrowski and, and Eric Norlin uh, about, software's Gutenberg moment? Is it as profound as that? Is it the equivalent to the invention of the printing press? And if that's the case, it's probably even more disruptive and profound than the invention of the internet. Exactly. I think it is one of those moments. And Paul, Paul Kodrowski is, a, is, is a, um, a venture capitalist. Yeah, he's been on Keen On. He's a very smart guy. He's really smart. I, I've known him super well for many years. Eric Norlin is also a, is a techie who's works with uh, Paul. Uh, this is a very long essay with lots of support. It's, it's at least a 30-minute read, and then you're going to have to think about it after that. But I put it in because it, it's um, panoramic in its, in its grasp of what's happening and historically giving it context. Uh, I think it's really good. So what do they say? I mean, in contrast with Gates, why is it the Gutenberg moment? Well, um, they're more detailed than Gates in saying why it's a Gutenberg moment. They, they talk about um, the relationship between humans and creativity being now supported by machine learning in such a way that the human is the smaller part of the puzzle. And, the, and uh, you know, the, the, like, like when I wrote my editorial today, uh, my work was maybe 15 minutes because I used uh, uh, character.ai and I also used ChatGPT to kick me off and it gave me, and I told it what I wanted and I shaped how it thought about it because it can, you can force it to go into character. So I could force ChatGPT to become me and write an editorial from my point of view and then I could edit it to be in my voice, removing things I disagreed with uh, and and the whole experience was completely different uh, to to what it would have been before Chat GPT, and they talk about the details of that, and they give all kinds of uh, history, by the way, of how this came about, the history of large language models, and where we are today. How far are we then, according to them, from you and I being able to do this without even showing up? They don't really address that, but but the the what I didn't put it in, but there was this week the first text to video uh, AI was was uh, put out there, 
Uh, it's not very good yet, but the fact that it even works at all was kind of amazing. Well, you we better be on our toes, Keith. We better be good, otherwise we're going to be redundant. We're going to be uh, we're going to be that lumpen proletariat. We're going to be those luddite workers who burnt the the uh, the the factories uh, in early nineteenth century northern England, where you're from. You've yeah. got a bit of luddite in you, don't you? I don't actually. No, I was always against the luddites. But I, but I will say, if if somebody trains. On, on our shows, and there's, I don't know, two or 300 of them online, you probably could create uh, Keith and Andrew talking about This Week in Tech. But yeah, it's like, easy. You just say, I, I'm always negative and saying it's terrible. You're always saying it's brilliant. So, Ah, but that, I, I think if you look at the history, that isn't true. You're, you're remarkably, you and I re think remarkably alike these days. We've influenced each other. Yeah, I think we're, we're boring now. We need to disagree a bit more. Other companies are doing interesting stuff. Uh, I'm a big admirer of Adobe. I use their software for video and for all my podcast stuff. They've launched Firefly. Do, 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 does this AI revolution, does it offer an opportunity for companies like Adobe to reinvent their software? Well, it does because, it, because of Photoshop and Premiere and, and also Audition. Adobe is a huge player in the creation of video images and audio, uh, and the combination of them as well. And what Firefly is, is the DALI. Um, it creates images from text. Um, I will say none of these engines are really that good yet. You can, the way you can tell is if there's any text in, in the images, it, they always mess it up, text and numbers. Um, so it's not really good enough yet. But it's good enough for some use cases, and Adobe's just getting in the game, which is smart because they 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 compete with Getty Images. They have a whole stock image portfolio that mm. uh, people use, and to be able to uh, generate uh, images not from stock or from a license, but for the first time ever, bring things to life, um, that's got a big future, I think. This whole revolution has lit a fire under all these companies. I mean, companies like Adobe, that for, for all these companies, the, the big and small alike, it's, a, it's, a, it's an existential moment because businesses no longer can be as usual on any front, can it? It, it, well, it, it, of course, it depends on the business. If you, if, well, if I mean, a tech. I mean, no tech. tech, tech business, I yeah. Mean, maybe no. you, you mentioned Netflix, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I went out last week with Edward Saatchi, who's the son of Morris Saatchi. He's got a, an AI movie startup in San Francisco. Oh, interesting. His dad was an investor in Siberia Cafe. Oh, well, well, we'll have some off-screen off conversations about that. But um, even for Netflix then, I mean, especially for all content players, especially the online newspapers. Yeah, I think games might be the first thing. I. I can imagine AI creating games quite easily with graphics uh, and game plots. I think that's easier than movies. Um, but but I, I think you're right. I think lots of creative things are going to be created with the help of AI. I, I actually don't think AI replaces us anytime soon, but I think it... You mean we'll survive this evening, Keith. Um what a, and in this sense, it's very much like the first wave of internet revolution when the creatives were on the front lines. 
What about OpenAI itself? Uh, you have a piece in the newsletter from TechCrunch about OpenAI connecting chat GPT to the internet. I don't quite know what that means, but is OpenAI still leading the pack on, on, on this revolution or are they just another company? No, they're the, the, they're the, they're the biggest wave in the ocean. Um, uh, th what they've done is they've created a plugin for your browser that if you allow it to, it'll watch your browsing history and you'll be able to ask questions about things that you've seen, for example. Um, so that yeah, so that's an enormous threat just in itself to Google and Chrome. Yeah, and it's a personalized search engine in a way with an with a interface that you can speak to um, so that and th and they've built a platform as well to allow other people to build plugins. So Expedia's built one, and a bunch of other companies have built them. So you're going to be able to almost any piece of software, instead of clicking and filling in forms, you're going to be able to say uh, what you want and get it back. At what point? I think you had a piece um, actually in the newsletter about. Uh, Microsoft and, and OpenAI eventually falling out. At what yeah. point do you think they will begin to conflict? For example, if OpenAI decides to develop its own browser, which would conflict with Bing. Well, the, the, the story was an information story, and it was basically making the point that if Microsoft and OpenAI go after the same customers, they, they, they will then fall out. And that, that was um, uh, a reference to um, in, in particular, it was a reference to going after developers. And, it, you know, my personal experience with Microsoft as a partner, I had a very similar deal structure with them when I did Real Names to OpenAI's deal, deal structure. In fact, I commented on that information article. Um, as soon as we were offering a solution to users and advertisers that bypassed search results, Microsoft closed us down. Right, but that was more than 20 years ago, and Microsoft was a completely different company in 1998. So it's a fascinating moment. I, um, I, I had a cup of tea with Steffi uh, Cerny today, the, who runs DLD. She's in San Francisco. She said uh, she felt it was like back, being back in the mid-90s in terms of the excitement and the enthusiasm. The weather might be cold out here, Keith, but I think there is a genuine level of excitement isn't there there is there is uh, you know a lot of excitement um and fear i mean even even sam altman recognizes that yeah but i i, I think the, the 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 real substance of what's happening is being driven by people like sam altman so the ex the, you know whenever whenever something profound happens there's ripples and the ripples tend to be echoes uh, the, uh, the very, very core of it um, is Sam Altman, which is, when you think of it, on the face of it, that's an astounding fact. I have to admit, though, that we called this. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, you, we, we've had a couple of shows on Altman from a couple of years ago. I mean, he's a really smart young man. I mean, he's not so young anymore. The real question with him is whether he's just going to repeat the same old playbook, uh, reading from the same hymn book or Bible that the first and second wave of internet revolution is, whether he's actually learned anything, we shall see. You mentioned uh, character AI, Keith. Uh, they are your 
startup of the week. Tell me, what do they do? Um, they're a more interactive version of ChatGPT. So they won't, they won't write a full thousand-word article for you, but they'll interact with you with your thinking to give you ideas back based on your prompts to, do, to, to, to if, you were, if you will, iterate your own thinking in real time. Um, so I, I used it today, and um, it was actually super good uh, for what it does. It was better than ChatGPT in the narrow use case of an iterative conversation. Uh, and, the, you know, it would give you back a paragraph not a whole. Does it? Story. Does it? Does character AI, character AI, does it compete directly with open AI or is it a complement? A complement, I would say. My, my editorial uses both this week. Um, uh, and Andreessen Horowitz are major investors in both. Yeah. And if anyone understands the opportunity here, it's Andreessen who was perhaps the most influential figure in the first wave in Netscape and the internet revolution. So it's really interesting. Finally, Keith, you got a Twitter week from someone I've never heard of, some obscure character on the internet. Where'd you find this one? Well, I did it myself this morning. You know, oh my God, it's Keith Tear on Twitter. You, Tweet maybe, of the week. Maybe you Not can. Shy, are you? Maybe you should read it this week, Andrew. I'm going to read this quote from a man called Keith Tear at K Tear. Maybe it's just me, but the at TikTok underscore US hearing seems to be a show trial. Congress people are being demagogic and intolerant. They seem entirely uninterested in solutions or outcomes. The CEO is being quite gracious in dealing with them. That was from this afternoon. So that is the famous Keith Tier who made his own tweet, Tweet of the Week. Yeah, and it's funny it's from this afternoon because I did it at 7 a.m. as I was watching that CNBC show. And at that moment, I decided the editorial this week had to be about it. <laughs> isn't there, a, I mean, ending, Keith, but isn't there an element of theater? Everyone knows this isn't for real. It's, it's uh, kabuki, to, to, to borrow some Asian concepts. I mean, it, it's, it's fake. Everyone, everyone is playing along and everybody knows nothing will happen. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what I, I've noticed is I've watched a few of these things in the last, these Congress uh, hearings in the last year or two. They're all like this. It isn't about TikTok. They basically use them for personal grandstanding, for their own fundraising, to their own audience. And there is no genuine conversation with the person being questioned at all. I mean, what kind of process is that it's it's crazy to me it's american democracy keith it is indeed andrew <laughs>